Amen. Let me take your seats this morning. Praise the Lord. Just to recap uh, very quickly this morning, um, going back just where we were a few weeks ago, but we know the book of Judges is a tremendous book. Uh, we see that Israel, it's a cycle of uh, Israel uh, apostatizing, falling away from the Lord in sin and rebellion, and then God would raise up judges, and here is one, this Gideon, Deborah, and so forth, that would be raised up by God to bring Israel back in repentance to God. And when they cried out to the Lord and repented of their sin, God would respond from heaven, and God would give them a tremendous victory. And so at this time, we know that Gideon, Israel, are in a backslidden state. We remember Gideon was calling out to the Lord, where are the mighty miracles? Where's your great hand that our fathers have told us of? And he is seeking and searching for, uh, for a breakthrough with God. And God is, has a visitation, particularly with, with Gideon. The Midianites, it says in the same chapter, had raised up against Israel at this time. In verse 2, it says there, if you just follow it through, but in verse 2, it says that the enemy actually prevailed against them. In verse 4, it says that the enemy encamped against them. And also it says there in verse 4, if you remember, they destroyed the increase of their harvest. In other words, the enemy was destroying uh, their, their, the basic needs of their life was being destroyed by the enemy. Then in verse 6, it says that Israel were greatly impoverished. They, they in, in spiritual terms, we would say that they were spiritually bankrupt. They were completely bankrupt because of the enemy, but it was ultimately because of their backsliddenness that Israel had turned from God. We're not a better nation this morning uh, as a result of our elections. We are much the poor. We are impoverished as a nation. We are bankrupt as a nation. This is not a political speech. Don't worry this morning. I don't believe that we should be engaged in the political sphere as far as that's our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, He will build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But as a result of our elections, and I just want to be frank this morning, matters not how much makeup we put on, matters not how well we Photoshop our PR machine, our photographs, underneath all of that, friends, this organization that is now our government are responsible for the thousands of deaths, for 17,000 at least bombs in this nation. And I think this morning of widows, mums, sisters and brothers that are getting up this morning have lost loved ones. They're looking after those that have been maimed. Tens of thousands have been maimed. And these are the same two ladies, could I say also, that danced in Dublin when they passed the law to abort babies. So it should be no shock this morning in any way, no shock this morning that this is the same organization responsible for so many deaths that danced when the laws were passed for the brutal murder of babies in the womb. Friends, this morning, we're in this condition not because of what they're doing, we're in this condition this morning because of the church of Jesus Christ. We're in this place. We've come to this place. Israel came to this place not because the Midianites were mighty, but because Israel were backslidden. 
That's why they were in this condition. It's not how great the enemy is this morning, friends. It's because, as evangelical Protestants have sought other means and other ways to fight the good fight through organizations and societies and parades and flag-waving, I'm going to tell you, friends, let me tell you very clearly this morning, God is humbling, humbling His church. The people of God that are called by His name have not humbled themselves. We have not prayed as we should. We have not turned from our own wicked way. Because if we did, the Bible says that He will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sin and He will heal their land. Does our land need healed? And so when the enemy rose up and the brutality of the enemy, that's what we're seeing. Israel cried unto the Lord because of the enemy. In verse 8 it says, The Lord sent them a prophet to expose their disobedience. God sends His Word. He sends His Word right into the midst of God's people. God is faithful in sending His Word all across this land this morning. His Word will be sent. His Word will be uh, proclaimed. And God finds this man, Gideon. He calls him a mighty man of valor. He says, Gideon responds to that saying, where are all the miracles that we have heard of? We know that you're the God of all flesh. We know that there's nothing too hard for you, but we have not seen your mighty hand in this generation. And I would say that we could all agree with Gideon this morning. We know that he's an almighty God, that there isn't anything too hard for the Lord. We've heard of the great miracles of the past, the great revivals, the great move of the Spirit of God, how God visited this dear land in his mighty power with waves of revival and waves of his glory and conviction of sin and souls being saved and his church being built up and strengthened. That's what Gideon is calling out. He's asking God, where are the mighty miracles of our God? And Gideon communes with the angel of the Lord and he, he asks for a sign. He looks for an indication that the Lord is with him. You know, it's okay to ask the Lord, Lord, would you indicate to me that we're walking in the way? Would you send us a token of your grace? Has God not blessed us with tokens of his grace in our lives and indications that we're walking the right way? And so he prepares a kid. This is verse 17. Prepares a meal upon that rock. In verse 21, it tells us there that the angel put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And it says there arose fire out of the rock an indication that God is with him. And Gideon builds an altar there and calls the name of it Jehovah Shalom. That is, the Lord is our peace. God gave him a sign. Gideon is looking for that sign, but then, and this is where I want to go this morning, so often we are looking for an indication or a sign from the Lord but sometimes in all of this, that God is looking something from us. That God is actually looking a response or into our hearts. God is searching us to see what's actually in us. You find any of these great men that are used of the Lord, that actually the dealings of God, and I want to go a wee bit further with this, how God deals with us as men and women of God, how God is speaking to us, that God begins to do a work in our lives and in our hearts. And it's not so much us looking for something from Him, but He comes down and He's looking something from us. 
that God is searching into your heart and into my heart and into our lives and an indication of our willingness that we are going to obey God and we are going to go through with God. You know, we victories lead the big victories. Sometimes just the small steps of obedience, not the great and the grand things, but just the simple steps of obedience for God, maybe not seen, maybe not known, maybe not heard of, but just in your life and the quietness of all of that, just those simple steps of obedience that God has called you to, they actually lead the big victories. Because God's proven and testing you in your walk with him. Look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. When the Lord comes to him and speaks to him, it says there in verse 1 in Genesis chapter 22, it came to pass after these things that the Lord did tempt Abraham, or the real word is actually prove Abraham. After these things, O Lord, we come to Abraham, the man of faith who's left everything to follow the Lord. But now the Lord comes to Abraham and he's actually come to prove him. He's come to test him. He's come to find out what's in Abraham. And the Lord calls him and Abraham says, here am I. And we know then the story, just to cut through it very quickly, but the Lord has called him to take his son Isaac, that which was the son of promise, take him and bring him to the place that I would show you. Lay him on that altar. I want you to offer him up to me. In verse 9 it says, they came to the place which the Lord God had told them of. Abraham built an altar, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called out unto him and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thy anything unto him. For now I know, now I know that thou fearest God, and thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. God, even though he knows all things, was proving Abraham. God brings us in our walk, in our desire, in our longings, and we're truly walking with God and we want to follow through with God, you're going to come to times it's not so much you calling on God to do things for you, but it's God comes down in your personal walk and God tests your heart to find out what's in you, to find out here, as it says with Abraham, for now I know that thou fearest God. Now I know that you serve me. Now I know you have faith in me. I'm not interested in Isaac. I'm interested in your heart. I want to know with all the words that you say, with all the preaching that you do, with all the singing that you do, I want to know that your words and what you say is what matches up in your heart. For God is a God of the heart. He's not looking at the outward appearance. He wants to know what we say we are and what we believe. That is actually what we are. And so God will test us. God will prove us to find out actually what is in us. In Exodus chapter 15, we see here again how God would prove Israel. And Israel are an example unto us. We know that he delivered them by his mighty hand. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had humbled that great empire, the Egyptian empire. He had humbled it. He had humbled Pharaoh. He leads his people out with his mighty hand, leads them down to the Red Sea, brings them across that Red Sea through that on dry ground, 
All of Pharaoh's army is destroyed by the mighty hand of God. They're rejoicing on the banks of that Red Sea. What a great victory God had given them. And now they're about to take their journey. These journeys are really important in Scripture. Each, each station, as it were, as they stopped, their name has a significance in the journey that Israel was going through. But you know, if I was about to go through this wilderness, uh, we were sharing uh, just a few days ago, we we're talking, it's like the old days that we're talking about, but remember before Google Maps and everything else, uh, Ruth and Andy were sharing about the old AA Atlas that you used to have. Anybody remember that? Remember the old atlas, the good old days, and then you had to open it up and you planned your journey and you went through all the pages. Remember the good old days, just when it was paper, not all this Google stuff. But if you were planning your journey, Andy and Ruth were sharing about going from Peterhead away over to Yugoslavia to minister there, down through England, down across France and so forth, planning that journey right the whole way across. And here Israel are planning the journey, but if it was left to them to plan the journey, they probably wouldn't take the next stop. What's the next stop? The next stop is a place called Mara. That place means bitterness. Well, who's going to plan on the journey? The next stop, what's the next town called? Next town's Mara. Do you want to go? What's that mean, bitterness? No, what's the one after that's called Elam? What's that? It's, it's palm trees and springs. We'll go to Elam. Who would go to Elam? I think we'd all go to Elam. We'd skip Mara. But God's going to bring them to Mara because he's in control. Mara is a bitter place. Verse 23, it says in Exodus 15, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara. They came to a place where they couldn't take the refreshment because the waters were bitter. There was a, it was a time, it was a bitter experience. God would bring his people whom he loved, whom he delivered by his mighty hand out of Egypt, humble that mighty army, bring them through that Red Sea, give them that mighty victory, and then God would bring them to Marah. Really? God would bring them to the place of bitter waters? God would bring them to the place where they could not drink? And that's when they began to murmur unto the Lord. It says there in verse 24, the people murmured unto the Lord, and they murmured against Moses and said, what shall we drink? You see, friends, God is bringing them to a place where God finds out what's in them. God's actually proven Israel what's in Israel, what's in their heart. God's able, friends, to, to do anything because he's the God of all flesh. There isn't anything too hard for the Lord. But sometimes God wants to find out what's in us. What's going on really in the depths of our heart? What really is happening in our, in our lives? And every believer in this room, without any shadow of a doubt, listen to me, every believer in this room will visit Mara. Every believer, you'll come to that place called Mara, a time of bitterness, a time where it seems that there's bitter waters that you cannot drink. And Moses cries out unto the Lord. You see, this is the wonderful thing about God. The reason he brings us there because he wants to show you a revelation of who he is. Imagine if they'd escaped Mara and went over to Elam. They'd have never found out that he is the God that healeth them. 
They would never have found out that he's the one that takes the bitter waters and makes them sweet. They'd have never found out that in the cross there's the fullness of deliverance and healing if we walk in his ways. I am the God that healeth thee. We want to go to Elam. But he says, I want to bring you to Marah. This is what it says. They cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Friend, this morning, thank God he can make the bitter waters sweet. He can make the bitter waters sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there, what does it say? He proved them. God was proving them. God was pre- Could I tell you, friend, this morning, every believer in this room, every believer, you'll come to Mara. You'll not move around Mara. You'll not skip Mara. He'll bring you to Mara. And at Mara, he's going to prove you. But at Mara, he's going to reveal to you that he's the one that makes the bitter water sweet. He's going to show you a revelation of this glorious cross. And he's going to tell you this morning, like he told them, that if you'll walk diligently to the voice of the Lord, if you'll do that which is right in his sight, if you will give ear to his commandments, if you keep his statutes, listen to what he says, I'll put none of these diseases upon you, which I've brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. How many people know there is a healer right here this morning? No, how many people know there's a healer? There's a healer in this place, and his name is Jesus. It's through that great sacrifice of that cross, through that shed precious blood, and through that back that was given to the smiters. Friends, I want to tell you something this morning. There's a healer in this place today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And he's right here this morning, the Bible says, where the twos or threes are gathered in his name. There am I in the midst. And I want to tell you, there's a healer right here today. And Mara, the waters were bitter. I'm so thankful for Mara. I'm so thankful for Mara. Thankful for bitter places, because in the bitter places, their revelation's so sweet. He's the God that healeth thee. We talked about Hezekiah just a few weeks ago. You remember the, the treasures of the king's house? And how he opened the door to the ambassadors of Babylon, and they came in and they stripped that whole house. Remember, he had done that, and the prophet of the Lord comes and says, What have you done? Well, in 2 Chronicles, if you turn over to it, this is the proving or the testing of the Lord. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 31, 2 Chronicles 32 and 31, this is what it says, How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. 2 Chronicles 32 and 31. God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. God left him to try him that he might know 
all that was in his heart. See, God searched in the hearts. God desires and looks on the inward part. God's testing. God's proving. God's trying. God left him to try him to know everything that was within his heart. You see, God is going to test the faith of the church. It's the devil that tempts, but it is God that tests. And God is going to test. The Bible says, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Real faith. Not the faith that's on the prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement, but real faith, biblical faith that trusts God, that believes God, and that overcomes and knows what that victory is. A faith that overcomes. A real faith, a biblical faith, a solid faith. A faith in God in these last days is going to be crucial for the church of Jesus Christ. That we believe God and God is trying the church. He's testing it. We've been put into the furnace and the fire and the heat has been increased and it's increasing ever the more, especially in this country. God is testing and trying the faith of the church. Religion is not going to make it. Dead religion's not going to accomplish anything. Having all our points and all our things in line and everything in order is not going to accomplish one thing in these days but a real Holy Ghost faith in God. A faith that moves mountains. A faith that believes God. And God is testing and trying His church all across this land. That's all you hear. There's circumstances, trials, difficulties. People are at Mara. People are in the fiery furnace. People are going through wildernesses. Troubles are coming to home. Believers are getting uh, shook about and sifted as wheat. And the devil's being used against us all. The enemy's rising up. Everything is changing. Our nation's changing. But the church is being tested and tried. And praise God, it's going to come forth. It's going to come forth. And so we see that he's trying. It tells us that our faith without works. Listen to this now. I know straight away everyone's saying, but it's not a work salvation. I'm not preaching work salvations by faith and grace alone. But I'm going to tell you, if you have faith and if the church has faith, then there will be works. There are the works of faith. There has to be the manifestation. I have faith. Then if you have faith, there has to be the works of faith. Bible says that by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son and James if you turn over to chapter 2 it says these words James 2 and verse 20 but wilt thou know O vain man that faith with thy works is dead if we claim to have faith but there's no works of faith then that's a dead faith I want to tell you, friends, we have rampant dead faith in the church of Jesus Christ in Ulster. I want to say that again. I'm not saying that to be cruel. I'm just saying we have much religion that claims that it's faith, but it's dead. There's no works of faith. They claim to be alive, but they're dead. It's utterly dead. There's no works, no manifestation of the faith of God. And that's why we're seeing the trouble that we're seeing. 
That's why we see her crumbling. That's why we see her, our nation is on a life support machine. That's why unrepentant people that stand, that we must pray for, that we must pray for our leaders, we must pray for our government. But that's why we've come to the place where we're at, because as a church, we have not humbled ourselves. We have not repented. We have not turned from our wicked way. We claim to have faith, but there's no works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, upon the altar? See thou how faith wrought his works, and by works was faith made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God, that faith without works, God give us a faith with works. Proverbs 17, don't turn to it, but I want to read one verse. It says this, The refining pot is for the silver. It says that the, the, the furnace is for the gold. But the Lord, He trieth the hearts. The Lord, He trieth the hearts. I believe we're in tremendous days. Tremendous days. That old refining pot for the silver to remove that which is the undesirable, that furnace which is for the gold to purify that gold. But the Lord, He's trying the hearts. One of the greatest victories in the Old Testament was about to unfold in the life of a man called Gideon and Gideon's little army. He had really no idea the victory that was coming, but he had a desire, like I know many people in this gathering do today, we have a desire to see God move, desire to see a mighty breakthrough, desire for God to show his mighty hand, not to claim that we are right, not for Protestant or Catholicism, but for the church of Jesus Christ and for the souls of men and women to show this world that he is building his church and the gates of hell and not prevail against it. That the gospel is not for just people who are from a Protestant background, but the gospel is for every man and every woman, regardless of where you're born. And we live in a nation that underneath the surface, friends, I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you, that there is a terrible, terrible sectarianism and bigotry and hatred that lies under the surface. If I have hatred in my heart towards a man, I have committed murder. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. What about the law of Jesus? If I hold hatred in my heart, I'm so thankful, and I'm thankful for many in this room because I know some of them very well. But if I was 20 years old today and not saved, and what I was in, and I woke up this morning, I'm going to tell you something. I, I wouldn't be a happy bunny. But I'm glad I'm saved. And I'm glad I'm delivered from all of that. And that's not my world, and that's not my kingdom. I'm glad this morning I'm part of another kingdom. That's the kingdom of God, where it's righteousness, peace, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. 
And that's not the same for everyone that sits in the church this morning, because that is their kingdom. And so God's trying the heart. Gideon's about to see an amazing victory. But Gideon didn't really even know what was about to happen. He just had a desire to see a manifestation of the power of God in his day. Do you? So God speaks to Gideon. It's not so much about Gideon saying, you show me a sign. Now God wants to see what's in Gideon. In verse 25 of our reading tonight, uh, this morning in Judges chapter 6, it says, It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old. And Gideon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to throw down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the grove that is beside it. Gideon, before this great victory is coming, basically what God is saying, before you enter into this great victory that I have for you, Gideon, I want to see what's in your heart. Are you willing? Because there's something in your household, there's something in your heart that has offended me, and I want you to pull that stronghold down. And if you pull that stronghold down, Gideon, I will know that I can lead you out into this great victory, and I will give you the victory. So there was something in that house, something in that household that offended God, and it was an altar. Can you believe it? It was an altar to Baal. Can you believe there's this grove? I know it takes a study in itself, that Baal worship, and that grove, and everything of what it represented, and it is manifested even right up to the day in which we're living, and there was the sacrifice even of their own sons. The majority of people that were slaughtered in the troubles were men and women under the age of 40. We've slaughtered our sons and now we've brought laws in to slaughter our babies in the mother's womb. Listen, friend, this morning, the, the shedding of innocent blood is a very serious matter. It was Wesley that said when he stepped on the island, I doubt even if God himself can move in an island where so much blood has been shed, yet he still came. Blood is still being shed. God was offended and God was grieved at what was in Gideon's father's house. And so he speaks to Gideon and he says, Gideon, this is what I want you to do. There's, a, there's an altar there in your household that I'm grieved at. This offends me. God is offended. How many people know that God can be offended? We're so busy making sure we don't offend anyone today in this society that's filled with everyone has to be tolerant. But if God's offended, that's okay. As long as you're not offended. We're apologizing for everything, even those in the pulpits today. We're apologizing. We don't want to offend you. We want to make you feel comfortable. Make sure everything's okay. Tick all your boxes. We want to make sure you're happy. But what about God? What does he think? You see what happens in a time of apostasy. We end up not just tolerating things that are offensive to God, but they become... We, we become accustomed to them. Like Gideon was going to his father's house and every day that he went to his father's house, there is an altar to Baal and there's a grove and he walked past it every day. He spent time with his father and he carried on with his life. Friends, I want to tell you something this morning. There's a lot of things in this nation this morning that God has grieved at, but we become accustomed to them. 
They become part of our lifestyle and our life. And God's offended. He's offended. He's grieved. But we carry on as though everything is fine. That's what happens when a nation is backslidden and when a church is backslidden. There's not the spiritual awareness or sensitivity to God. Remember the days you get saved? Remember the days when God delivered you from, from liquor and, and smoking and drinking and out partying and everything else? Remember that was a conviction? Anybody remember that? Was, that's still my conviction, by the way. Remember you were delivered, saved from the old drink? Remember it was the devil's vomit? Anybody remember that's what it used to be? Not today, friends. Half the church, half the church, at least have no problem we're going out and getting a bottle of wine today. Why? Let me tell you why it is. I'm not interested in your arguments. I tell you why it is. We're backslidden. That's why it is. Oh, I know someone might get uncomfortable. I know some might even get offended this morning. But I'm going to tell you, friends, I'm not here to keep you happy. I'm here to honor God. So we become familiar. Remember, you know, there was one, a great woman, a great woman. Her name was Mary, Mary Whitehouse. Anyone remember Mary Whitehouse? I'm going to tell you, a woman was a mighty woman. One wee woman from her kitchen table went to war with the BBC over the vile content that they were bringing in. Listen. In the 1960s. In the 60s. I wasn't even born. She rose up with her pen and paper on her kitchen table and began a campaign against the vile, wicked filth that the BBC were bringing in. You know what she said in 1975 concerning technology? She says, when it all comes, I see this will be the ruin of a young generation. I want to tell you something. She's right. We become accustomed to things. On a Sunday morning, we'll say and agree and say amen that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. I know you're not allowed to say that anymore, but it is. We'll say that on a Sunday morning. No, the tragedy is I've never seen it, but I read the article. No, the tragedy is many a Christian will sit down on a Saturday night and watch strictly and watch two homosexuals dance in front of them. <laughs> Who's offended? Who's offended? Is God offended? That was great entertainment. Friends, we are in trouble. We have lost what it is to have convictions. There's no convictions anymore. There's no convictions in the church of Jesus Christ. We accept things that grieves God. Would God sit down and watch it with you? We accept so many things today that God is grieved by. But yet we'll tip our hat on a Sunday morning and say amen to the preacher and say that's terrible what's coming into our schools. But we'll sit and watch a filthy soap and watch homosexuals kiss and watch them do all that they're going to do. And then we'll come to the house of God on a Sunday morning and we'll lift our hands and we'll praise the Lord. Can I tell you something, friends? 
God's grieved. God's grieved. The idolatry that we're living in today is unreal. The idolatry of sport is unreal. I'm not against sport. Not that I do any sport, but I'm not against sport. I'm not against a bit of football. I'm not against any of those things. But I want to tell you, friends, if that keeps you away from a prayer meeting, that's idolatry. If you can't sit through a meeting without checking your phone and find out the scores, I want to tell you something, I tell you it in love, that's idolatry. And so Gideon walks past the altar of Baal every day. Every day. There's a mighty victory about to happen. And God says, now Gideon, there's just one thing. There's just one thing. See that altar that's in your father's house? Do you know what the word Baal means? It means the Lord or possessor. I'm going to tell you, friends, the enemy has possessed a lot of land. But it's about time that through prayer that we pull down the strongholds of hell and we see a mighty victory for God. There's things that we would never tolerate. I hear this all the time. I hear people mocking, mocking. I hear believers mocking. Listen, listen, believers mocking. I I heard people mock the songs that we sing. What? You still sing those old songs? (laughs) When thy passes through the water, I'll be with thee. Know all the old songs, know what they were? They were scripture. You still sing that? There were some lyrics of a song the other day. I don't know. I can't remember the girl's name. And the words were, we sang that song, you know, when I survey the wondrous, man of sorrows, what a name. Some of the modern songs, the Gettys and Christ, amazing, biblical. And there's this song, I don't even know the name of it, don't want to know the name of it. Heaven come down and kissed her earth like a sloppy kiss. And they're singing that in church today. Friends, I want to tell you something. What is going on? What is actually, is it just me? Sometimes I feel I'm getting, is there something wrong with me? You can say amen, by the way, I know there is. (laughs) Or something wrong with him, that's for sure. No, my mummy didn't drop me when I was wee. She might have given me the slipper the odd time if she caught me. But I'm going to tell you something. And I know I needed it a lot more, and I should have got it a lot more. And I'm thankful for a mother and a father that disciplined us. Because that showed that they loved us. But I'm going to tell you, friend, we are sinking fast as a church. I say we. We tolerate a whole lot more. Remember, you still do prayer meetings. We don't do prayer meetings anymore. It's believers saying this. Yeah, we still do prayer meetings. Praise the Lord. I'm not trying to elevate us. I know there's many like us, like prayer, fellowship, the Word of God, the breaking of bread. You still do those things? Yes, we still do them. Acts 2.42, that's what they did. People mock prayer. People mock you still have gospel services on a Sunday night? Yes, we do. 
Christians find that alarming. Listen, Christians find that alarming. Now we wonder why we're in the state that we're in. Really? We wonder why we're in the state that we're in, that we tolerate so much more today because the spirit of the world has swept into the church of Jesus Christ. It's very clear for us when you get saved. Even the world know. Even the world know. Even the world know what a Christian's supposed to be. They're confused that they meet believers that go out and get drunk on a Saturday night. But I thought you were a Christian. That's what they say. Even the world say it. Jeremiah chapter 6, the Lord sends a prophet. And this prophet speaks to them. Jeremiah 6 and verse 15 says these words, Were they ashamed when they had committed the abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Verse 16, thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, But they said, We will not walk therein. Have you heard that? We will not walk this way. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But you know what they said? We will not hearken to the trumpet. The Bible says that we're not to remove those ancient landmarks that the fathers have set. Thank God for the old ancient landmarks. Thank God for that. You see, some would say to me, and of course I know this is said and said has been said to me, but you're reading the Old Testament and trying to make fe- people feel uncomfortable through the Old Testament. Just to cover that one, could you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, not to try and be smart, but to tell you the Old Testament applies to us. It's an example, Israel are an example to us on how we're to live. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, Paul said these words, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He said, What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? What agreement hath Christ or concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part is he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What agreement is there? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Then Paul says, Wherefore come you out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, I will receive you, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God's looking for a separated people. I know, listen, I know this can fall into legalism very easy. I'm not preaching legalism. I'm preaching victory. I'm preaching life. I'm preaching the Holy Ghost this morning. I'm preaching a faith with works. I'm preaching an overcoming life. I'm preaching you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I believe in a river of life that comes out of the church, not a dead religion. I'm not preaching legalism this morning, friends. I don't go to the bar because someone says I can't. I go to the bar because I'm free. I don't go to the bar because I'm free. 
free from it all. We tolerate the things that God has offended, that God has offended, so we don't offend people. That's the world we're in. We'll tolerate it because we don't want to offend you, but we don't mind if God's offended. We've come accustomed to the things that God is offended by. The Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're not natural, but they're mighty through God. They're the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in the captivity, even every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Here's the reality. Gideon, even in fear, didn't want to do it during the day, but he did want to do it. He got 10 men together. Just think of those 10 men. 10 men. He says, men, I can see him just gathering that wee army together of 10 men. It's before this other army. He just gets them together and he says, I've got a plan from God. What's the plan, Gideon? I need to go to my father's house. Can you imagine it? I need to go to my father's house. And I need to cut down that grove. And I need to pull down that altar to Baal. And I'm a little bit afraid. So we're not going to do it during the day. But I tell you what we are going to do. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it by night. And I can see Gideon. You see, friends, I want to tell you something. God's put his finger in things in your life, in my life. And there's some here this morning that you know God's telling you to pull down altars in your life that shouldn't be there. You know God's speaking to you. You know God's offended at what's in your life. And God's been dealing with you and proving you for a long time. And God's been speaking to you. Pull that altar down. Pull that idol down in your heart. I'm offended by what's in your life. And if you want to go on in God and into the victory of God and know the great things of God and go deeper with God, I'm going to tell you, go no further until we deal with what God wants to deal with. You've got to pull that altar down. And you've got to cut that grove. And Gideon obeyed the Lord. He would possess the ground the enemy had taken and become of God's great, part of God's great remnant that would see a mighty victory for the Lord. For Gideon and for us to enter and to go further with the Lord, there might be, there may be, and don't go looking for it unless the Holy Ghost shows it. I'll say that. But there might be an idol in your house. I'm not talking about the physical, I'm talking about that spiritual. Something that offends God, something that's in that father's household, and you've become accustomed to it. Maybe it's been there for years. Maybe it's been there for years, and it becomes normal to you. Now listen, friends, this morning, it must be the Holy Ghost. It must be the Holy Ghost. But see if God's dealing with your heart this morning to pull that idol down. I'm going to tell you, don't leave this house until that idol's destroyed. Don't walk out that door and say, I'll think about it, because you'll know you'll put it off like you have done before. Deal with this specific idol 
that stands in that house. Can I tell you, remember what I said earlier? We, steps of obedience, lead to great victories. I tell you, they lead to great victories. We, steps of obedience, lead to great victories. If God's dealing with your heart this morning, to pull down an idol in your life that you've become accustomed to, but God's offended by, I want to encourage you this morning, even with fear, even with a sense of weakness, pull this altar down in the name of Jesus, and you'll know the great victory of God will come. Let's pray together this morning.